This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Give you guys just a few seconds to get here. If you look at the bold print above verse 5, you'll see the word prayer. Now, when the word prayer is said, that probably evokes uh, a bunch of different emotions from the group here. Some people love prayer. Some people are all about prayer. Prayer scares a lot of Christians. Some people just don't understand prayer. So we pick up here in Matthew. Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. He is speaking to his disciples. He's giving them instructions, and Jesus thought prayer was important enough that he took an entire section of his message, and he taught on prayer. Because prayer should not be scary. Prayer should not be misunderstood. So what we want to do is we want to understand what did Jesus have to tell his disciples about prayer? Starting in verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's look at the first two words of verse 5, verse 6, and then also verse 7. It says, and when, but when, and when. Jesus used the word when, not if. Because he's expecting his followers, his children, to pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Prayer should be as natural to the Christian as breathing is, as reading the Word is, as coming to church or fellowship is. Prayer should be a natural overflowing of your love for God. So Jesus says, when you pray... We know that in James chapter 5, it says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Well, I'm telling you, if we have a powerful and effective tool, when we use it, it better be a win. Why would we get a tool that's powerful and effective and then never use it? When we pray, it's powerful and effective. How do we know it's a powerful tool? Let's turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. What you see in this section, starting in verse 10, actually, it talks about the full armor of God. I think we all understand the power of the armor of God, the power of wielding the sword, of the breastplate. We all understand that. But this teaching on the armor of God ends talking about prayer. Verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. What you have to understand is this whole section about the armor of God would not be possible without prayer. Prayer is the energy for us to wield the entire armor of God. Prayer holds together the entire armor of God. That's why this section would not be complete without talking about prayer. What we learn about prayer in this section is that prayer should be done in the Spirit, It should be done on all occasions. We should pray all kinds of prayers, and we should keep on praying. 
So God gives us the command of when we should pray. Here in Ephesians, it answers the word or it answers the question of when should we pray. All occasions, and we should keep on praying. Many of us know that as pray continually. That's probably a very common verse. First uh, Thessalonians 5:17, if you guys are not f- familiar with where that's found, we should pray continually. That is the when that we should pray. So we're commanded when to pray, and we're told when we should pray. Now, praying continually, or always praying, has always been one of those really, I think, um, misunderstood concepts. Because you're like, how can I be driving down the road, holding onto the steering wheel and say, oh, shut my eyes, dear God, just thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the car that's in front of me that's stopping right now that I cannot see. No, that's not what praying continually means. Prayer is a conversation with God. One of the best things that you can do to test yourself if you're praying continually is if a situation arises and you need to pray for it, or if there's a situation in your life that you need to pray for that's brought up throughout the day, or someone calls you and says, hey, can you pray for this? If you have to go into a time of prayer, it probably means you weren't praying continually. Prayer should not be something that we have to go into or we should not have to pick up the phone and call God to start the prayer. If we've been praying continually, those things will naturally happen. We will naturally be in communication with God, so it will be a continuing conversation with Him. And so when those situations arise, it's just natural. Oh, dear God, help me with this temptation that just came into my life. We're there. We're alert. We're already communicating with Him. That's how we can test if we're really, truly praying continually. Now, the praying continually, yes, is very much, I would feel, a casual conversation as we're going throughout our day. We want to be communicating with God. We want God to be communicating back with us. But we also understand that prayer is a powerful tool. And here in Matthew, we really learn about some of that power and when to use that powerful tool. But Jesus says here uh, that don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites were using prayer as a powerful tool as well. But they were using it as a powerful tool for the wrong reasons. They were using prayer as a powerful tool to be seen by many. The Greek word here used when it says uh, praying on street corners, that Greek word for street was a wide street, a street that was well-traveled. They purposely chose those streets so that they could be seen by as many people as possible. They wanted to use prayer so they could get the adoration and praise of those people walking by. That was their reward. They weren't doing it because they wanted to get closer to God. Or they weren't using it because they wanted to have the spiritual power or the spiritual tool. They were using it to impress men. Prayer should never be used as a tool to impress others. Prayer should be used as communication between you and God. Now, Jesus is not saying don't pray in public. There is absolutely nothing wrong with going and praying in public. But it must be accompanied with that private prayer. I mean, let's look and see throughout the Bible. Jesus prayed publicly. Uh, before he went to feed the 5,000, or before he went to feed the 4,000, 
Both instances, he stopped, he took the fish, he took the loaves, he blessed it. He gave it back to God. He said, God, this is yours. Bless it. And then he went on and fed. He prayed publicly. So we know that praying publicly is okay if it's done with the right motives. Let's turn over a couple pages to John chapter 11. I want to give you another example of Jesus praying publicly. If you look above verse 38, you'll see this is a section where Jesus raises Lazarus from the death or from the dead. So Jesus is at Lazarus's tomb. Lots of people have been gathered around. They want to see what's going to happen. They want to see what Jesus is going to do. So there's plenty of people publicly for Jesus to pray in front of. And so what does Jesus say in verse 41 and 42? He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always heard me. But I say this for the benefit of all the people standing here, that they may, they may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed publicly, and what did he do? He directed everybody who was listening to him to look towards his Father. He directed not one of those people to say, look at me, I am here to raise Lazarus. No, he wanted to make sure that that prayer was all about his Father. It's all about our Father when we pray. So when you pray publicly, you make sure it's done with the right heart, and you need to make sure that prayer is directed to God. That's how we make sure that we're not praying like the hypocrites. Now, unfortunately, there are risks that come with prayer because all of us have a fleshly nature. Anybody who gets up and prays in front of people is going to have a fleshly nature that's going to try to come out. So a couple of things that you have to be careful of when praying publicly is to not turn prayer into a show. I think we can all say we've probably seen on TV um, some, let's just, televangelists, other uh, pastors who uh, primarily are on TV, and they use their prayer time as this big show to wow people. They think that that's what they want to see. They, want, they think that people are here to see a show, so they're going to give them a show, including during the prayer time. Prayer's not a show. The other thing that we have to make sure that we're not trying to do when we pray publicly is that we got to make sure that we don't pray directing towards man. Prayer can be used as a manipulative tool. Now, a couple of those, I had to really think about this for, for a few, for a while, and just understand how can prayer be manipulative. And then I got to think about some of the prayers I've heard on TV or in past churches. And what you get is, you get prayers like this. Maybe it's uh, you know, after the worship time, but before the pastor speaks, you have that few minutes where the offering is collected. But before the offering is collected, somebody always stands up there and says something, uh, blesses the prayer. That prayer, if not done out of the heart, can be very manipulative. God, as we pass that offering plate, I ask that you open the pocketbooks of all those who are here today. Let them give the best that they can give. Sounds manipulative, doesn't it? Not exactly what prayer is meant to be. The other thing that you might have is, you may have just got done doing a service on serving in the church. And then someone's going to get up there and say, you know, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for the children's ministry that we have. We really need help in that children's ministry. We need three people tonight to say, I want to commit to serving to that children's ministry. 
There's an underlying message in those prayers. It's manipulative. That's not, that's not what prayer is supposed to be. If that's how people are going to pray, to impress others, to be seen, to manipulate others, their reward is going to be given to them by man. When we pray, well, let's just put it this way, prayer is our reward. We should find a lot of reward in prayer. Not because of what we can get out of prayer, but because we have the opportunity to come and speak to our Creator God in prayer. In verse 6, it says, go into a room to pray. The word here used for room, it means a storeroom. It means a place where treasure is stored. What a beautiful picture that is for our prayer room to be. Yes, the word meant physical treasure, but for us, our prayer room should be a place where our spiritual treasure is stored. And that treasure is found in prayer. It's found in communicating with God. This is when we should have a powerful prayer time. As I said earlier, we all understand praying continually. We understand how to pray as we go throughout our days. But if that's all we're doing, we're missing that treasure. We're missing that powerful time where we can go into our storeroom and we can pray to God. There's something to be said about setting aside a part of your day, whether it's in the morning, whether it's over your lunch break, whether it's at night. And when I say at night, I'm not talking about as you're laying on your mattress. You know, dear God, thank you for this beautiful... That's not, that's not the treasure we're talking about. Is it helps you get to sleep quicker. We're talking about a treasure of powerful prayer time where we can call upon our God. We need to accompany that with praying continually. I firmly believe that there's a time and place to call out to God, have that fervent prayer to Him. But there's also a time and place to be praying continually throughout your day. We should all have both of those in our Christian lives. That's where we will see the full reward of prayer. Powerful prayer in our storeroom and praying continually. That's our reward. We're talking to God. Picking up in verse 7. Again, he says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Some of your translations may use uh, vain repetition uh, in that verse as well. What we're saying is you don't need to speak the same thing over and over again. Maybe it's the same word over and over again. Maybe it's um, God Father, God our Father, oh Holy Father, thank you Father. You're just repeating the same words over and over again. That's vain repetition. Or maybe you just say the same prayer over and over again. Now, it's kind of ironic that Jesus talks about don't babble, don't have vain repetition, right before he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And in today's society, the Lord's Prayer may be one of the most repeated prayers of all time that ultimately is just vain repetition. It's just babbling. So it's kind of ironic that he tells us not to do that before he gives us the prayer that turned into that. Let me give you a phrase that I know I'm guilty of of using in vain repetition. I say my prayer, 
And I get to the end of it and I say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. At what point did in Jesus' name lose the power for me? It became something I said at the end of prayer. If it has lost the meaning for you, then they just become meaningless words. Let's not say it during our prayer time if it doesn't mean something to us. There is power in being able to pray in Jesus' name. There's power in the fact that because of Jesus, God sees us as sinless perfection. So when we speak to him, God sees us through Jesus. Boy, that's power. When we end our prayers with in Jesus' name, that should be a celebration. It shouldn't be words we add to the end of our prayer. Now, in this day, pagan worship obviously was a a major thing. So why did Jesus have to teach about babbling and vain repetition? Because during pagan worship, they had small g gods. Well, those small g gods were busy, they believed. So in order to pray to your small g gods, you had to get their attention first. So if everybody over here was praying to the same god, we're all trying to fight for that same small g god's attention. So what pagan worship ended up being is you would call out to the same god over and over again because you had to wait to get that god's attention. And then once you got that god's attention, they believed that the more you said the prayer to them or more, the more you made the request to them, the more powerful your request was. So think about that. You might call out to your small G God for 15, 20 minutes, saying the same thing over and over again, waiting, to, waiting for them to hear you. Then once they heard you, you spend the next 15 minutes saying the th- same thing that you had just said for the previous 15 minutes, but now they're actually listening to you. And because you said it for 15 minutes, it made it more effective. I'm so glad we don't have a God like that. I'm so glad we have a God that is always ready to listen to us. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying about something today. Maybe praying about it again tonight. Praying about tomorrow. If it's a prayer request, if it's a prayer need, give it up to God continually. But in the same two-minute, five-minute, six-minute prayer, do we really need to repeat the same request 40, 50, 60 times? Not so sure we do. What's great is it's not like God doesn't accept the prayer if it's not 17 minutes long. If you pray to God and you stop at 15 minutes and 30 seconds, God's like, ah, man, Ted didn't pray long enough. I can't listen or answer any of his prayers. No, length does not equate to effectiveness when it comes to prayer. We don't have to repeat things. To be effective. We have a God that is always listening to us. What makes prayer effective? Prayer needs to come from the heart. Prayer is you sharing your heart with God and you allowing God to speak to your heart. If prayer is not sincere, if what you are, sin- if what you are saying is not sincere, it's probably being done, or it's probably being viewed as babbling words to God. You know, if you uh, have a good friend that you talk to regularly, um, you know what they sound like. You know their voice. You know the types of words that they say. If you called them up one day, and all of a sudden they started 
I'm not talking about speaking in a different language. That would be an extreme case. But if they start speaking with uh, this very eloquent speech that you've never heard them speak before, you'd be thinking to yourselves, what's wrong with them? That's not the person I know. And it probably would sound very much like babbling to you because you're like, I don't understand that. What are they trying to tell me? Understand, God knows our communication with him. God knows how we speak. So if we go into a time of prayer and we start using all these words that we've never used before in our regular vocabulary, those are meaningless words to God. We don't need to impress God just like we don't need to impress others. The bigger the words we use, that doesn't matter to God. It matters that we have a sincere heart when we pray. The other thing that we need to make sure we do when we pray, and I had never thought about this, we need to engage our mind. Now, I think all of us at some point or another have been told, think before you speak. Great, great advice for your life. But have you guys ever thought about applying that to your prayer life? Think before you speak. I think most of us in here probably have one or two prayers that we pretty much hit a play button on, and we can say those prayers almost without thinking. We're missing something in prayer if that's what we do. I don't remember who I was reading, and it was about six months ago. Uh, This person said that most Christians have two prayers that they routinely go back to. It's not until you get rid of those two prayers that you can truly start to pray effectively. So think right now, if you have those prayers that you always say, get rid of them. If you always say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, get rid of it for right now. And then come back to it when it's sincere, when it means something. When you speak to God through prayer, you should be engaging your mind, thinking about what you're telling him, allowing the Holy Spirit to be speaking to your mind to talk back to God and what you're going to say to him in prayer. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, and I'm, we're not going to turn to these, but you can write them down. And in James <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 17, in Acts we hear of the church praying earnestly. In James, we hear about Elijah praying earnestly. And in the James verse, he's referring to a situation that happened back in 1 Kings. But the word earnest, it says they're praying earnestly. Now, once again, earnest is not a word I use in my normal vocabulary, so I'm not going to go before God and say, God, I'm earnestly praying to you right now. I don't even know what that means, so I wouldn't even know what I'm doing right now with God in my prayer. So I looked up the word earnest in the dictionary, and it said intense or serious state of mind. Boy, if that's what the Bible's telling us we should be doing when we pray is praying earnestly, We should have a state of mind that is intense and serious about what we're saying. It's good enough for me. That's what I need to do when I pray. If I want to be, well, I should say it like this. I don't know if I can categorize my prayers as earnest. My my prayers maybe are more casual. Maybe they're a little needy or wanty. But boy, if you can engage your mind and intensely talk to God... Wouldn't that be amazing if you could say your prayers are earnest? We don't want our prayers to be babbling words. We don't want our prayers to be meaningless to God. Prayer is a right and a privilege that we have. 
Let's not waste it with babbling. It says in Ecclesiastes, uh, it talks about how uh, you need to recognize that you are God, I am not. Let my words be few. Hmm. Maybe sometimes that should be applied towards uh, our prayer as well. Don't need to babble. Let my words be few. Let's see what the Bible, or I guess we should say, in the Bible we see many prayers. A lot of them are very concise. <clears throat> They're right to the point. They don't go on and on for chapters and chapters, verses and verses. They get to the heart of the matter. <clears throat> Excuse me. They get to the heart of the matter. Maybe our prayer should be more concise. Maybe our prayer should get right to the heart of the matter. Get to the point. Let the Holy Spirit come upon you when you're praying, direct you on what you should pray about, say it, get to the point, and then let's just sit there and wait for an answer. The next time, pray, get to the point. Then let's wait for an answer. We don't need to just continue babbling and babbling and babbling. Okay? And just to make sure you guys get this point of don't babble, I'm going to repeat it again for another 10 minutes. Get to the point. Make it concise. So, why do we need to make our prayers to the point? Why should our prayers be concise? Get right to the heart of the matter? Well, Jesus answers that in verse 8. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, not only do we not want to babble and say a lot of meaningless words, let's be honest that God knows what we need before we ask him. <clears throat> Thank you. I was really praying all week that this head cold and allergies that I had would be gone by this morning, and it just didn't. So it was one more hurdle to overcome. So it, it, God knows what we need before we ask of him. Prayer is not information time. When we pray, we're not going to inform God of anything he doesn't already know. So let's not spend all this time trying to tell God something like we're super smart and we're like, I'm going to tell God this. He never thought of it in my life. Or I'm going to tell God I was thinking about this the other day. God already knows. So you might be asking yourself, if God already knows everything we need before we ask him, why ask him? Well, complete transparency I've probably fallen into that trap before where I feel maybe a little rushed. And so I think to myself, well, God already knows everything I need before I ask. So my prayer consists of something like this. God, you know everything I need. So just work through those situations, answer those prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Not, not what we're trying to get here. If God knows what we need, we still need to ask him. So if God knows what we need, why pray? Well, as we said earlier, it's a privilege as a son or daughter of, of God's, it's a privilege. We have the right to go before him and speak to him. Prayer allows us to be near to God and allows God to be near to us. Turn, turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll learn here about the nation of Israel. And I'm going to read verse 7 to you. 
So we're in, De- we're in Deuteronomy 4 and 7. And it says, What other nation is so great as to have their small g gods near them the way the Lord, our big G God, is near us whenever we pray to Him? The nation of Israel recognized that God was near them, near them when they were praying to Him. We should recognize that prayer is a chance for intimacy with God. Fellowship, communication with God can only be got through prayer. That's why we pray. Why else should we pray? Well, God wants to communicate to us. All of us in here have friends, have loved ones. We love to speak to them. We love to talk to them. How much more then should our God who created us want to speak and communicate to us? God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear his children talking back to him. I mean, let's be honest. When I get home from work, I want to go up and I want to say, Hannah, how was your day today? Tell me about it. And I love hearing her tell me everything that she did. Haley, how was your day today? Did you have fun at school? I love hearing her communicate back to me. Alicia, how was your day? I love hearing that. In the same way, God loves hearing us tell him what's, what, what he may already know. God still loves hearing it from us. And then there's something special about vocalizing our thoughts, our feelings, our needs, our wants. And this might sound odd to those of you who maybe are not as fervent or diligent in your prayers you'd like to be. But when we pray to God and we truly confess our needs, we are truly humbling ourselves before God. What we're saying that we may not realize we're saying is we're saying, God, I need you in this situation. I cannot handle it myself. So why pray? Because prayer puts us in an amazing position with God of humbling ourselves and relying upon Him, saying we can't handle this situation. Prayer prepares us for the answer. If you're not praying, if you're not speaking to God, how does God know or how can God trust that you're the type of person that He can trust with the answer? If we are praying and communicating with God and in His will, then it, it validates that we are the type of people that will be ready when God gives us the answer. We will use it for His glory. We will use it to advance His kingdom. Why we pray is so that we can be men and women who are ready for the answer. So then Jesus changes and actually gets to the model of prayer. Now, this next section, we all understand it as the Lord's Prayer. Here's what's interesting. is It probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Prayer of the Children because this is not a prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Why do we know that he never prayed this prayer? Because in this prayer, it talks about asking for forgiveness of sins. Jesus never sinned. 
Jesus never had to pray and ask for forgiveness of sins. What Jesus gives us here in the next couple of verses is a model of how to pray. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a model of how we should pray, not a verbatim of what we should pray. Unfortunately, too many times today it's been used as a what we should say. It's a how we should say, or how we should pray. And the first thing we should do when we pray, that was a pause for effect right there. First thing we should do when we pray is start with worshiping God. It starts with our Father. As I said earlier, because He's our Father, we have the right to come before Him. We have the right to ask Him to direct our paths, to take care of our needs. We even have the right to ask Him for our wants. But we start by saying, Our Father. Now, some who are more seasoned in prayer, they might go up and say, my Father, or dear God, or gracious one. That's great. That just shows an extra level of intimacy. Now, the reason it says here in our Father is because we understand prayer is meant for the entire body of believers. It's not something that only certain people get or you have to be special in order to be able to pray. No, it's all of our fathers. As his sons and daughters, we all can speak to our Father. We have to have that relationship with him to call out to his name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So after we realize that we have this relationship with God, we now need to recognize who God is. Hallowed or hallowed, whatever it is, obviously it's not a word I use on a daily basis. I don't go into my office and say, hallowed be my boss. Okay, so what did I had to think? Okay, what does hallowed, hallowed, however you want to pronounce it, what does that mean? It means you are giving honor and respect The uh, word might also mean revered or reverend. Oftentimes you will hear someone say, that's the Reverend Joe Johnson, because they're a pastor. People give this sort of reverence or or high level of respect to a, a human being. What Jesus is saying here is we need to go to God and say, hallowed, respected, honored, glory to your name. That's what we need to start our prayers with. Recognizing who God is. Do you guys understand that you're praying to the creator God, the God that created the entire universe, is taking time to hear our prayers. The God that created me is taking time to hear my prayers. Why else do we want to recognize who God is? Well, because recognizing who God is, we recognize how great and how big God is. It gets us out of our little pea brain narrow-mindedness. Because when we get ready to pray or when we are praying, the worst thing we can do is pray out of our narrow-mindedness. We only see 
this little bit of the entire picture. So if we are praying out of our own mind and out of our own self, we're only going to pray for this one solution because it fits our picture and it, picture, it fits our understanding of the situation. Scrap that. Pray with the greatness and grandness of God. Don't limit Him in your prayers. Realize that He knows infinitely more than you do. And pray accordingly. Hallowed be your name. Understand who He is. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will... Boy, we better pray in God's will, shouldn't we? Don't want to pray in Stuart's will. Pray in your will. It's not about what I want. It's not about my will. Why? Because prayer, and I'm going to have to read this for you exactly how I've it written because I've messed it up every time in practice. Prayer is not about using God to get my will done on earth. Prayer is about allowing God to use me to get his will done on earth. I'm going to repeat that again. Prayer is not about using God to get my will done on earth. Prayer is about allowing God to use me to get his will done on earth. So we need to pray in God's will. Well, once again, if we're going to pray in God's will, we probably need to be in God's will more than just that time of prayer if we step into this time of prayer. So how can we make sure that we are in God's will? Well, John chapter 15 talks about the vine and the branches. And it says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If we are abiding in God, he's going to be abiding in us. We will therefore be in God's will. So that when we pray, we'll be praying according to his will. Once again, we're very lucky that Jesus gave us some great examples of how to pray in God's will. Turn just to your right, just a couple of pages, to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to pick up in verse 36. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell to his face and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus spoke to his Father and he said, Father, this is my will in the situation. If this cannot happen, fine. Not my will, but your will be done. Then Jesus goes and he prays a second time in verse 42. Jesus says, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, 
May your will be done. Once again, he says, my will would like something else than what is probably planned. But if my will can't happen, dear God, let your will be done in this situation. This is one of those things where I think it's always a tough situation where we want to pray our will, but we have to find balance in praying our will with telling God what we would like to happen in the situation, but we have to have a heart that's willing to accept God's will in the situation. I couldn't uh, read this section without, uh, without thinking about the example that Steve and Angela gave to us over the last year. While they were going through, through Steve's cancer, they said something very early on that they, yeah, they would like to beat cancer, as I think anybody who's going into cancer would. They would like to beat cancer, but they said, God, whatever your will is in this situation, let you be glorified through it. What an amazing example we had of not their will, but God's will being the important thing there. So if you do pray, and I'm, I shouldn't say if, when, because we, we, we are all going to pray the, the once of our lives. We can say, God, I want that job. Hey, when I was unemployed for eight months, I did a lot of that. God, I want that job. But what do we have to balance that out with? If that's not your will for my life, let me be okay with that. Let your will be done. Okay, when I was a younger, younger man, I did a lot of, God, pray that that girl goes out with me. Okay, I was younger, I was dumber, I probably didn't follow that up with, but let it be your will in my life. Because let's be honest, if we got everything that we asked for, and it didn't go through God's will first, whew, it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a pretty situation for us. So thankfully, God only gives us those things that usually benefit and are of value to us, but if we can pray, God, let your will be done in this situation, what it does is it prepares us, again, it prepares us for the answer. Your will, God, in this situation. Let me be prepared for whatever it is. Let your will be done in this situation. Jesus says, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, continuing there uh, in verse 10. So, we move from a time of worshiping and being in God's will to a time of intercession. Your will on earth, that's referring to the people on this earth. That's talking about the brothers and sisters we're in church with, we're in fellowship with. We have an amazing opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters. Intercede for them that God's will can be done in their lives. So we switch from worship to intercession. Pray for others. Even if you don't know specifics, be willing to pray for them. If you're praying in God's will and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, people are going to come to your mind. If they come to your mind and you don't know a specific need in their life, it's okay. All right. I practiced, Bill, and I used you in my example of, in practice. So I'm going to use your, you as my example here now. So if I'm praying and I hear the Holy Spirit pray, uh, place Bill on my heart, 
but I don't know what exactly maybe Bill's need is, just say something like, God, I know you've placed Bill on my heart. I don't know what his specific need is, but lift him up today. If he's hurting, heal him. If he's going through a tough time, give him strength. I don't know, but you've placed him on my heart. And then you know what you do when you get done praying? Go to your phone. Hey, Siri, text Bill. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Uh, <laughs> text Bill. Bill, you were on my heart today when I prayed, and I prayed for you. Is there a specific need that I can pray for you about? And I guarantee you, Bill's not going to go, well, why are you praying with, about me without knowing specifically why? Okay, first of all, with Siri, how much more lazy can you be to get a prayer request back from somebody else? You can speak it. Okay, but here's what's great. Is Bill, because I know Bill, he's done it before for me, he'll respond with a, here's what I'm needing prayer for today. Then, the next time I pray, I have a specific. I can pray for Bill in a specific area. Why is that important? Because then I know a specific need of Bill's, Ted's, Brad's. When an answer comes to that specific need, I can then celebrate with Bill that answered prayer because we knew what that specific prayer was. If you aren't praying specifically, how do you know when those answers are coming? Intercede for others. Pray for them specifically. What else does interceding do? If I go up and I say, Brad, I prayed for you, what I'm not saying is, Brad, I prayed for you, and so therefore you are a valuable person. No. What I'm saying is, Brad, as a brother of Christ, you are valuable. You were worthy of me taking time to pray this week because I want to be a godly guardrail for you. You're ascribing worth to your brothers and sisters when you pray for them. Now, there's a number of us men in this fellowship that are able to observe this. The ladies in our church are really good about sharing prayer requests throughout, uh, through text throughout the day and ascribing that worth to one another, praying for each other. It's an area that I know as men we desire to be a lot better at. But how amazing is it to be able to say, I'm locking arms with you, brother, with you, sister, and I'm walking this Christian walk with you. I'm going to pray for you, even when you don't want to pray for yourself. And I'm going to celebrate with you when those answers come. Intercession has to be a part of prayer. God's will on this earth for our brothers and sisters. The other thing that we want to pray for is our leaders and our government. We are called to pray for our leaders and our government. About a month ago, I had the privilege to go to the Greater Springfield Prayer Breakfast. It was, on the, it was during the uh, National Day of Prayer. And at that prayer breakfast, uh, our, our mayor was there. Uh, Senator Roy Blunt uh, came back in town for it. We had a couple of uh, congressmen that were at that. A lot of our first responders were there. And we had a guest speaker. His name was Dick Foth. Dick Foth, maybe. I don't really know how you pronounce his last name. But he shared something. 
that really st- uh, stuck with me. So Dick was a uh, childhood friend of Mr. Ashcroft, who used to be Attorney General. So when uh, Ashcroft got to go and be inaugurated as Attorney General, or sworn in, he asked if Dick would go with him as a friend of the family. So Dick calls up his mom, his 96-year-old mom, and he says, Mom, I'm going to go uh, when, when Mr. Ashcroft is inaugurated, and I, I think I might meet the president. And the response of his mom was, Oh, if you do, please tell him I pray for him every day. Well, sure enough, Dick went to that inauguration, and Mr. Ashcroft said, Dick, come over here for a second. I want you to meet somebody. He said, Mr. President, this is one of my childhood friends. This is Dick Foth. Dick went in, shook, it was the second bush, I believe, shook his hand, pulled him up close, whispered in the president's ear, Mr. President, my 96-year-old mother told me if I met you, I had to tell you, or I had to tell you that she prays for you every day. The president didn't let go of Dick's hand. The president pulled him in closer and turned to his ear, and he said, Tell your mother, thank you. Tell your mother, keep doing it. And tell your mother, it's working. Our leaders need our prayers. Our leaders have decisions that they have to make throughout the day that we can't even imagine. We need to pray for our leaders. So we turn from intercession over to verse 11. <clears throat> and it says, Give us today our daily bread. 12a, forgive us our debts. Moving into 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yes, I purposely skipped the second half of 12. I'll get back to it. But we switch now to petition. We switch to our own needs. It's okay to ask God for our own needs. We've got to be careful when we are just asking God for our wants. We don't want prayer to turn into, a, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, amen. Okay? We really have to test the attitude of your heart, test if you're engaging your mind, and test if you're truly hearing from the Holy Spirit. That will help us direct us to our needs, not our wants. It says here, our daily bread. What it's referring to is it's talking about the daily provisions. There are enough things to get us through today that we should talk to God about that it could take up an entire prayer. Figure out those daily needs and talk to him about God or talk to God about them. Yes, we need food, we need shelter, we need protection, you know, we need have we need protection for our families. Talk to God about our daily provisions, about our daily needs. Once we do that, verse twelve moves to forgive us our debts. Forgiveness has to be a part of our prayers. Why? Because sin separates. If we have this chasm of sin between us and God, how can we expect when we pray to be near to God if that sin is in the way? The other thing that's great about confessing our sins, well, let's see what David said in Psalm 32. If you would, just turn there with me.
Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then, this is the important part, then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave me and the guilt of my sin. Guilt is, or sin is accompanied by guilt. We need to ask for forgiveness of our sins to help us not carry that heavy burden of guilt along with us. Why else do we need to confess our sins? Because if we don't, we really feel like we're probably hiding something from God. And what have we already learned? God knows it all. There's no reason to hide. Now, I will say this much, that I've been guilty before of saying, God, you know what, you, you know what my sins are from today. Lord, just, just forgive me of those and just help me not do it again. Be specific when you, be specific when you ask for forgiveness. God already knows the specifics, so why are you trying to hide from him? And by stating the specific sins, it allows you an intimacy and communication to talk about those sins. Why is that sin in your life? What is the heart of the matter? It's not until you start confessing those sins by name that those sins are ever going to be able to be broken free out of your life. Because if you're not naming them by name, you're still hiding a part of them, holding on to a part of them. Name them by name. Let God heal that sin from your life. And here's the great part. Is yes, God already knows those sins, but God loves you anyways. So speak to him about your sins. God, forgive me of those sins. Heal me of that sin, that repetitive sin. And he will. Then the Lord's Prayer ends there in verse 13. It says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So you've prayed for your daily provision. You've prayed for forgiveness of sins. Now you're going to pray for guidance as you go on in your day, your next day, your week, your month. Pray that God leads you. You need to pray for protection from temptation. I don't know if we understand this or not, but God protects us from a lot of temptation that we don't even understand. We never get made known. If we knew everything that God protected us from, our minds would explode. But we know that throughout the day, things are going to come upon us that we need God to lead and guide us. So let's ask, at the, let's ask for that guidance and that direction. God, don't lead us. And not, God's never going to lead us into temptation. What happens is when that temptation arises, we need God's voice. We need God leading us to the right decision. We need God leading us so that that temptation does not turn into sin. That's what we need God for. Don't lead us. Protect us from that temptation that can turn into sin. We need wisdom to make the right decisions. Ultimately, we have the free will. God's not going to take that free will away from us. But here's the deal. 
If you have a sin in your life that is a habitual sin, or even if you know there's things throughout your day that you face, pray to God about them. Make a decision with God in prayer that when this happens, this is the direction I'm going to go, God. That way, in that moment, when that temptation arises, when that situation arises, it's not a question of, okay, what will I do, God? Do I go here or do I go here? God, lead me. Lead me. Which way am I going to go? No, you've already prayed. You've already set your heart and your mind with God that this is the direction of God's will. So when that situation arises, you already know that's the direction you're going to go. So you pray, God, lead me through my day. And then many of your verses at the end of, uh, or many of your Bibles at the end of verse 13 probably say something along the lines of, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, the NIV version doesn't have that. Uh, that was something that uh, was on the um, older manuscripts. King James versions will have that. I actually really like that at the end of it. Not just because that's how I grew up, knowing the Lord's Prayer, and I feel like it's missing out of my Bible when it's not there. But when you're ending the prayer with, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, you've now went back to this time of worship. You're ending your prayer with worship to God. Your kingdom on earth, God. Your power. Your glory. Amen. You're ending prayer with worship once again. You're putting your focus back on God. So that if you did anything during your prayer that was off-focused, at least you're going to end focused back on God. Because that's a great place to keep your focus on. Then we have verses 14 and 15, which kind of seem to be like an appendix to the Lord's Prayer. Most people probably get to the end of verse 13 and they stop, because that's what we all know and we all uh, have been taught. But verse 14, and I'm actually going to read verse 12b first. says, As we also have forgiven our debtors, for if we forgive men, in verse 14, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. So verse 12b talks a little bit about forgiveness of others. And then this section ends with a little bit more about the forgiving of others. Forgiveness of others is the evidence of your own forgiveness. When you know and understand how much you have been forgiven by your Heavenly Father, you have no other option than to forgive others. The forgiving of others is the evidence that you recognize your own forgiveness. So once again, we've asked God for the forgiveness of our sins, and therefore we should not be holding anything against anybody else. Because whatever sin you feel like this other person's committed against you, it is just, it, it has nothing or it's not to the magnitude of the amount that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us our sins. So I started by just saying the word prayer. And there was a number of responses probably internally. Nobody like did anything like, <gasps> but internally there was a number of responses. And so I asked you this morning, think of a prayer continuum. 
Maybe you're over here on this side. Maybe prayer is not something that you currently are doing. Maybe you don't understand or don't know about prayer. Go back, study Matthew chapter 6. And here's what I can say about it. Is if prayer is not something you do, just do it. Just try it. If your heart is in the right place, God's not going to care what it sounds like. If your heart's in the right place, there is no wrong prayer. There's nothing that you can say that's going to be like, oh, he prayed wrong. No. Prayer, I should say, perfection in prayer is not getting prayer perfect. Perfection in prayer is trying it. So if you're on this side of the continuum, just start trying to pray. Here's one for you. If you don't know how to pray or you, don't, you feel incapable of praying, ask God to help you pray. Pray to God to help you pray. Just start. Just do it. Maybe you're over here on the other end, and you're like, man, you know, my prayer life is pretty good. I feel, I feel pretty solid. Maybe you even view yourself as a prayer warrior. If this is where you're at on the continuum, thank you. If that's where you're at on the continuum, and you're praying for me at some point during the week, and I don't even know it, thank you. Please keep it up. Okay? We need more people who are prayer warriors that understand the power of prayer. So if that's where you're at, please keep doing it. I would suspect many of us in here are somewhere here in the middle. Maybe we're really good about praying continually, but because we get so rushed through our day, we're not real good about carving that time aside to get into our storerooms and really pull that power of intimate prayer. So maybe this morning, that's where you need to say, God, let me give, or give me the desire to have that time with you in a powerful way. Carve that time out in the mornings, at noon, at night, and have that powerful prayer. Maybe you're somebody, like I was for a long time, where I had my time carved out in the mornings, and I would pray, but I would say amen, and I would shut the door, and I would walk away. And I would come back to prayer the next morning at 628. If that's where you're at, Pray that you can work on the pray continually part. That you can work on that conversation throughout the day. Because it says, watch and pray. We need that prayer continually in our lives. Maybe you do a little bit of both, and you just want to do it a little bit better, do it a little bit more. Whatever it is, prayer is a powerful tool. Let's make sure that we're all using the powerful tool that we were given. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. Dear God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to come and just share about prayer. Lord, I know it has made a huge difference in my life. And I know that there's so much I can learn to become more of a man of prayer, to wield that powerful tool more, Lord. And so I just pray that there's application from the message this morning and that we can all take a step to become more prayer warriors, to become more like Jesus in the area of prayer. 
Lord, we have this powerful tool. Let us use it. Let us be a church that's known as a church of prayer. Let us be individuals that's known as individuals who pray and understand the purpose and the power of prayer. Why, God? Because we know prayer works. Let us utilize it more. Lord, just thank you so much for your guidance and your direction and your words of instruction in all areas of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.